Welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc. Dr. Carrie is committed to helping patients find the root cause of their health problems and fixing the cause with natural treatments so they can feel normal again. Dr. Carrie is the founder of Functional Medicine Ontario and is the author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Please welcome your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Functional Medicine Radio Show, the only internet radio show dedicated to giving you real solutions to improve your health. Not only are they real solutions, but they're natural solutions as well, because as you know, the one and only true wealth you have is your health. I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Drizga, the Functional Medicine Doc, and I'm committed to helping you find the root cause of your health problem, fix the cause with natural treatments so you can feel normal again and live your life to the fullest. I'm so excited about today's show because I'm interviewing Dr. Jared Sigler. Let me tell you a little bit about him. Dr. Sigler is a chiropractor. His passion is to help his patients regain their health through functional and lifestyle medicine. This personal quest was sparked by watching the health of his loved ones degrade over time while conventional medicine provided no real answers. Initially starting as a personal trainer, Dr. Sigler had an insatiable appetite for knowledge on how to better the health of his clients. By helping patients identify the root cause of their disease and giving them the tools to regain their health, he is able to not only complement his patients' current health care, but also helps fill the gaps left by conventional medicine. Dr. Sigler, thank you so much for being my special guest today on this episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. Thanks for having me, Dr. Carey. You make it sound really good. So, oh. <laughs> You know, we have a lot in common about uh, the, insatiable search, bleh, the insatiable search for knowledge mm-hmm. and, and yeah. wanting to really help our clients, no matter what, to find the root cause. Yeah, it's funny. I actually started out with functional medicine really to help my wife more than anyone because um, we were told we would never have children, and I just didn't accept that. So I learned about functional medicine, tested her gut, found out she had all these things, so started fixing that, and then realizing she was undiagnosed autoimmune. So then I started to learn more about you know autoimmunity, how does the immune system work, and then that, of course, kind of started to translate more into, well, now how does the nervous system really start to work? Because as my daughter is developing, I want to make sure that you know, I'm, I'm giving her every opportunity for her body to be able to cultivate and perform what it's supposed to do. So I, I kind of jokingly say I selfishly learn what I learned to help my loved ones. I'm just in a position to be able to help other people too. That's, that's always how it seems to start. We're either helping ourselves or we're helping a loved ones, And that's usually how most doctors get their um, initial impetus into functional medicine. So I want to do... Uh, focus our show today talking about autoimmunity because as you know it is depending on what resource you see it's either the third leading cause of death or the fourth leading cause of death in North America is autoimmune disease and it's extremely extremely common and one of those things that conventional medicine really can't do much about except just medicate you Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, the medications, in my opinion, you know, they can be necessary because if someone with rheumatoid arthritis is destroying their joint tissue, you know, the methotrexate is stopping that from happening. 
But then we just kind of shut off the immune system. So now we're actually prone to have more pathogens. We're prone to have more infections. Um, we're promoting a leaky gut. But then we're also increasing the risk of cancer and things like that, too. Because, you know, as you know, the, the answer isn't necessarily to just shut off the immune system. That's, in my opinion, not a good long-term strategy to really address a lot of these things. And kind of back to those numbers, I honestly think it's more closer to the third leading cause of death. I mean, for example, heart attacks, about a third of them are autoimmune in nature and typically after a streptococcus infection. So we actually found cardiac antibodies in the six-year-old boy, you know, because his parents are autoimmune. And we're just talking like, what, we, what should we look out for as parents? And I just say, you know, if he gets an infection, that could be what potentially triggers a heart attack. And I'm, I'm not trying to scare these parents, but we want to be able to try to get the environment correct for this child because as we know that's how genes express themselves so if we can alter the environment through lifestyle and trying to avoid potentially getting some infections then to me that's the best thing that we can do for this child so that's interesting that you bring that up because i think i was just listening to an interview with dr tom o'brien and he had also mentioned that there's a lot more autoimmune disease behind heart disease than we ever thought of. So heart attacks and... Um, yeah, the arteriosclerosis yes. can be an autoimmune process yeah, due to infections. Yeah. Yeah, so it's, it's funny because in undergrad, I really didn't like microbiology, but here I am trying to read more research about bacteria really than anything because as that's starting to explode, we know the bacteria educate our immune system. They help form our prefrontal cortex so they help the brain develop it's really really intriguing to me how it truly is a symbiotic relationship yeah i remember in chiropractic school absolutely hating microbiology and absolutely hating biochemistry and here we are it's so funny here we are as functional medicine doctors and that's like the core of really what a lot of what functional medicine is is really understanding all of those little intricacies mm-hmm and ending up loving it in the end. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, so we're learning more about autoimmune disease and that it also affects the brain, too. Mm-hmm. The, the nervous tissue is actually one of the favorite areas for the immune system to start to attack, and that can be maybe myelin-basic protein, which is obviously the sheaths. There's a lot of infections that have molecular mimicry to something like that, as well as foods too. But then we can actually, like I personally have cerebellar antibodies, so that's what most looks like gliadin or gluten as far as on a microscopic level is actually the cerebellum. So, and in my opinion, the autoimmunity is typically due to a lot of, that's where a lot of infections like to hide is in the nervous system, kind of like when people get a shingles outbreak or something. We know that a lot of these viruses and things just love to hide, and that's where we see a lot of the immune system being activated in the nervous system, driving a lot of these autoimmune responses. So let's talk about that, because a lot of our listeners know that, or they've heard that, infections are important triggers for autoimmune disease, and that they can actually be the, the cause, the root cause of a lot of different health problems, not just autoimmune disease, but... Can you talk a little bit more about infections being triggers? Absolutely. Really what the research is starting to demonstrate is that it's not necessarily a hit and run, like a one-time event that really, poof, now this person has autoimmune disease. That can happen. I've seen it clinically. There's case studies showing that. 
But really what we start to notice with these infections is it's the burden of the diseases over time. Because if we have autoimmune tendencies in general, we already have a dysfunctional immune system. There's what's called an altered T-cell response that really is what occurs. So, for example, someone with uh, neuropsychiatric lupus, where they have more of the psychiatric issues with lupus, they're more prone to get cytomegalovirus. But cytomegalovirus is known to trigger lupus, so it's kind of a chicken or the egg type mentality do we get these infections just because the immune system isn't able to respond to them appropriately? Or do we develop autoimmune diseases due to these infections? So we have to consider the burden of a lot of these diseases. So for like a lot of my autoimmune patients, we'll go after Lyme, for example, if they have a Lyme in their co-infections. And even if the testing comes back negative for the Lyme, I personally believe they're always going to have some you know, I'm always going to have chicken pox. I'm always going to have that virus in me. It only becomes a problem when that pathogen is stronger than my immune system. I equate it to a purse thief. If someone's going to steal a purse, they're not going to steal it from Ronda Rousey. They're going to steal it from some 90-year-old little lady. So if I'm a pathogen, I'm really going to try to only attack something I know I can defeat. Yeah, and, and so that's why they're so difficult to find also. And as you said, a lot of them like to hide in the body. Mm-hmm. And if we go solely off the, you know, the IgG or IgM type mentality, that's assuming that the immune system is performing optimally. Right. So, uh, yeah, like you, assuming that the immune system can put up a fight. Exactly. And there's a huge difference between chasing around antibodies and actually seeing you know, an improvement in that system. So, for example, I've seen thyroid antibodies as high as over 22,000 get down to 38. And everyone's like, yay, and I, I agree, that's a, good, that's a good number to get to into a normal range. But then we have to start asking the question, what if the immune system has quit fighting? What if there's no more thyroid tissue left to attack? So when we look at just, like, say, for a vaccine, for example, if we just look at antibody production, all that really does is tell us, can the immune system identify a problem? It doesn't necessarily mean the immune system can defeat or fight that enemy. Okay, so then for the people that are out there listening right now, what are some of the recommendations you can give to them to to look into or to, to ask their doctor about? I like to give a challenge, typically, because the immune system can hide from a lot of things. Like, I personally run stool tests on everyone that comes through, and we use a PCR test because the DNA doesn't lie. I mean, I've seen so many... H. pylori tests come back negative where they're just looking at the stool antigen. You're really only going to find that positive, for example, at the beginning of an H. pylori infection because once those H. pylori burrow in to those, uh, the stomach cells, the parietal cells, and start to shut off those proton pumps, then they secrete Lewy bodies and they hide from the immune system. So then if we just look at antibody production, we're going to say, oh, there's no H. pylori. But the H. pylori have diverted that attack either on the actual parietal cells of the stomach themselves or the enzyme that the stomach cells use to make stomach acid, you know, in that genetically susceptible autoimmune population. Not everyone that has H. pylori is going to develop an autoimmune disease, but H. pylori is one of those big triggers. It can be Raynaud's. It can look like Hashimoto's. I mean, it can look like MS, so, and it can obviously attack the stomach too. So really, we like to screen for these infections as well as clinical symptoms. So do they have acid reflux? Do they have that brick feeling in their stomach? 
because I jokingly say we don't want to chase everything down the rabbit hole because then we're just going to be chasing infection after infection after infection. We have to look at a global standpoint. What can we do to allow the body to start working better on its own? And which pathogens are really maybe driving a lot of this immune imbalance? Okay, so besides infections, what other triggers do you commonly find for autoimmune disease? Stress and then pregnancy. Um, stress is typically, that one can be like the hit and run. And the stress can be maybe uh, they got a surgery or something, so their knee got hurt or they were in a car wreck. The stress can be one of those chronic stresses. For example, one of the, the most cumulative effect that I've seen clinically this one lady, she lost her parents in an unexpected car wreck. Her husband divorced her and she lost her job all within a few months. And then she comes into my office and says, well, things were never the same after that. And I responded with, well, I wouldn't imagine they would be. So we see typically a lot of these stresses. It's the inability to shut off the stress response that truly starts to mess with the, with the immune system, we're under the common misconception that stress is immunosuppressant, and that's just a very blanket statement. We know that stress actually causes a polar shift where now we're more Th2 dominant and we're suppressing Th1, so that can allow infections and things like that. And then, of course, the fluctuation of hormones in pregnancy is going to fluctuate the immune system. Again, a Th2 dominance. So this is where maybe somebody with lupus or this TH2 type dominant disease, they feel better when they're pregnant. They love being pregnant because it kind of puts them into remission, whereas opposed to maybe someone with like Crohn's or MS, they really start to notice they feel worse when they're pregnant, or maybe that's the initial trigger. That can be due to not only the fluctuation of hormones, but there's a thing called chimerism, where the DNA of that baby, which is only half of the mother's DNA, is inside the body, maybe potentially, and can affect the immune system for up to 20 years after the mother gives birth. And then that's kind of, not to jump all over the place, but that's where I, I disagree wholeheartedly with the aborted fetal cells inside of vaccination, because now we're putting the DNA of somebody that's not even half of your own DNA inside of all these people, and it's really making the immune system have trouble figuring out, well, what's self versus non-self tissues? So you think that one of the big triggers for autoimmune disease can be vaccines? Yeah, for a few reasons. Um, a, that's not how we get infections. Typically, we would get them through the mucosal membranes. And that's really going to be more of the Th1 response initially. Poor weapons, they're not fighting too well. And then these dendritic cells, usually there can be other antigen-presenting cells, they, they take a snapshot. So I say, you know, M16s aren't going to be able to stop a tank. So these antigen-presenting cells take a picture of the tank, show it to Th2, kind of these beta cells and these T cells, and then from there they start to make weapons to destroy the tank, but they also teach Th1, the soldiers, how do we actually use these weapons to destroy this enemy so there's this crosstalk in this education process that doesn't occur when we just bypass it directly through to the skin. Plus in nature, typically we don't get five or six viruses in a single sitting. So again, that burden of disease, we're just bombarding the immune system with all of these pathogens all at once. And then, of course, the adjuvants like the aluminum, uh, everyone wants to make a big deal about the mercury, but aluminum can be just as problematic 
because they add that to increase that antibody production. So things look good on paper. Hey, this person can really target measles, but that doesn't necessarily reflect on, well, can that person, again, defeat measles? For example, at Harvard Med School, I mean, there was like 42, 100% fully vaccinated med students that had an outbreak. So we know that just because we get an antibody response, again, we can't fight an infection. But then we see this aluminum that really aggravates the immune system, and it has a couple different ways that it does that. A, it's what's called genotoxic. Certain genes, when they're exposed to these heavy metals like aluminum, the most common are what's called metalloproteinases. Those require zinc to function, but this is how the body makes antioxidants. This is how DNA heals itself and repairs itself. They're also immunotoxic because um, they're meant to provoke the immune system. But they can cross the blood-brain barrier, too. So now they have access to tissues where typically aluminum, for example, wouldn't really have access to. We shouldn't have metal inside of these things. You know, and we don't even ingest it. or We don't absorb what's ingested, really, uh, not to any certain degree. But we do, and if it's injected, then we get it right under the skin. So to me, there's kind of that perfect storm that could be the trigger for these autoimmune diseases. The problem is nobody is screening these children, even though we have started to identify genes that can be problematic. Okay, so we've talked about a lot of things so far. So we've talked about infections as triggers. We've talked about vaccines. You mentioned stress and pregnancy. Mm -hmm. And then at the very top of our show, we talked about how really autoimmune disease is an imbalanced immune system. Mm-hmm. And so how do we get that immune system to act normally again? What are some of the big things that our listeners need to know about that part? Well, my favorite thing is to let a sleeping dog lie. So we want to quit provoking the immune system. Um, so for all my autoimmune patients, without even doing any testing, I just recommend they eliminate all grains and all non-organic food. The glyphosate is extremely problematic for multiple reasons. I don't think we have enough time to get into that. So glyphosate being? Oh, that's the Roundup that they spray on genetically modified crops. Yes. um, That actually really affects how our bacteria behave inside our GI tract. It shuts off how they can utilize minerals for energy. So then we lose a lot of the benefits of that symbiotic relationship. Again, they're not maturing the prefrontal cortex. They're not myelinating these neurons. So then we see a lot of that lack of myelination or what's called differentiation. So these these cells aren't, these neurons aren't really growing anymore, potentially, which is, of course, extremely problematic. So you recommend we go grain-free. Mm-hmm. We eat organic foods because the glyphosate in the, in the uh, pesticide Roundup mm-hmm. has such a problem on the body. What, yeah. other, what other recommendations do you have? Well, by law, I can't uh, recommend a different vaccination schedule, but to me, that's something that should really be reassessed, especially if a child has an adverse reaction of the first round. Um, for example, my daughter is not vaccinated because both me and my wife have autoimmune diseases, so that automatically lumps my daughter into that higher risk category. So that's where maybe potentially talking to the pediatrician about spacing these things out, because there's never once been a safety study to see how do all these shots work at the same time, um, which is to me just laughable that they say it's evidence-based, but I say I've never seen any evidence for that. But um, so, and then, of course, minimizing stress is huge. 
Unfortunately, these children are developing under stress. So we've actually found that the pathway in the brain that modulates the stress response is better developed in four-year-olds and 40-year-olds because if their brain is developing under this very stressful environment of always performing high, always doing this, always doing that, then their body just says, this is my life, this is the way the rest of my life is going to be, so let's develop accordingly to deal with this stress. Um, because turning that switch off is huge. Um, our cells have what's called the danger response, which is a very old response. It's designed to keep us alive. But what we're finding is if that response never gets turned off, it doesn't really matter if someone's eating the right foods or taking all the right supplements or drugs. If their body is never in a state of healing and repair, then it's really not going to get that effect that we're after. So I tell people, then all your grain-free organic food isn't going to go to healing and repairing your cells. It's going to go to dealing with this stress. Okay, so going back to the vaccine issues. Mm -hmm. So you mentioned something about uh, parents should ask the pediatrician about altering the vaccine schedule. And so what recommendations do you give your patients about having that conversation with the medical doctor? It really depends on the pediatrician more than anything. I, unfortunately, I hear a lot of patients being fired uh, for not following their pediatrician's advice. But in reality, what I recommend typically is we want to pay the extra, no thimerosal, no aluminum. You want to do just single viruses by themselves and none live viruses, like none of the salt or anything like that. Um, and typically, because technically a child can't even make antibodies until six months old, so I really don't see the effectiveness of giving some kid hepatitis B on the first day they're born, unless their mother was high-risk category, like they, and they already screen mothers for hepatitis B when they're pregnant anyways. So really, maybe delaying some of these things, like I said, the blood-brain, I didn't mention earlier, but that blood-brain barrier isn't actually formed until the child is about two years old. Yeah, so, so so can you explain to our listeners what that means and what the implications are? So I say think of the brain kind of like the Pentagon. It's very secure access. Only certain people and things should be allowed there. So that blood-brain barrier is kind of what protects the brain from a lot of things that shouldn't be there. So, for example, neurotransmitters are actually too big to be taken orally. Like, I can't just take serotonin and it affect my brain. We have to piece together it inside the brain from all these smaller parts. So really, whenever that's not intact, all these things just start to have access to the brain that never should have been there. So that, that protection isn't in place to maybe try to keep a virus out of the neurological tissue or keep the polysorbate 80 or the formaldehyde or whatever out of the nervous system. And then because the nervous system just has really poor antioxidants status in general. It's not really designed to be like the liver where it's constantly filtering and filtering and filtering and filtering. Okay, so Dr. Sigler, do you have any recommendations for the listeners out there that do want to learn more about vaccines? Um, there's a really good book called Vaccines, Adjuvants, and Autoimmunity. I follow the work of Dr. Yehuda Schofeld. Mm -hmm. He's actually out of Tel Aviv, and he studied uh, with Dr. Arista Vajdani, who runs the Cyrex lab. So uh, they really have started to figure out a lot of autoimmune processes and, you know, how can we better screen for these people. Perfect. So I recommend 
reading his book, following his work. He has a lot of it out there. Um, and then, of course, just, you know, always do your due diligence. You know, do I believe somebody, you know, for example, some of these kids get mumps, but in reality, that wasn't really a deadly disease. Um, it's true, a small portion of people would die from that, but technically that's kind of thinning the herd. There's always going to be something. Like the flu shouldn't really kill a strong person. It's going to be getting, I don't want to sound crass, but, you know, kind of getting rid of the older ones, thins the herd. This is, we have to think from an evolutionary standpoint to some degree as well. So, Dr. Sigler, this whole um, area of autoimmunity, it's a big area to talk about. Do you have any closing remarks about autoimmune disease? Is there anything else that you think is important that we haven't discussed yet that our listeners should know about? Um, I would say attitude is very good. I see a lot of emotional components with autoimmunity, either anger that it was them or maybe that, um, that those negative emotions are kind of what's spurring that stress response, which can lead to an autoimmune process. Oh, that's a really good point. Yeah, so we always want to take into consideration our environment because everyone always wants to blame genes, but in reality, we're figuring out about 80 to 85% of all our genetic expression is based on the environment. So when a patient comes in wanting to run all these 23andMe's and all these genetic tests, I tell them, well, I'd rather look at your stress environment. I'd rather look at your metabolic environment inside your GI tract. Do you have little critters? You know, what's your blood sugar doing? Um, a lot of autoimmune patients, they, they're just really well-functioning hypoglycemics for the most part. You know, their blood sugar is just wonky all the time. They're shaky, they're irritable, they get tired after meals sometimes. So it's really a lot of this lifestyle that's going to really carry someone through autoimmunity, either by maybe avoiding some of these triggers altogether or just calming down the immune system where it doesn't have to potentially start attacking this tissue faster and faster and faster as well. Dr. Sigler, how can our listeners find out more about you? So our webpage is uh, becomeproof.com. And my bio is on there. I have a Facebook page as well, um, just Jared Sigler. So I'm on the Living Proof Institute as well. I'm a moderator for that. And really, so we can actually have people schedule a free phone consult. And my wife will actually see if people are a good fit for what we do. Because, you know, I tell people, like I was saying, you know, a person has to change their lifestyle. So if a woman's coming to me for help, but her husband is just smoking cigars next to her all day, every day, I'll tell her, if you have an autoimmune disease, you're never going to heal in this environment, regardless of what type of food you eat. Not saying that they shouldn't make these changes, but in reality, we have to address that environment. So that's where we can see if people are a good fit. Uh, You know, unfortunately, some people wait to change until they're extremely sick. They're usually more reactive as opposed to proactive in their health. And then from there, we just take a very thorough history. A lot of people complain about our intake packet being 43 pages. But I tell people, if your health isn't worth 43 pages to you, then I'm sorry, I don't think you're really motivated enough to really do what it takes to get better. Dr. Sigler, thank you so much for being my special guest today. This has been an awesome interview. Thank you for having me, Dr. Carey. 
All right, that wraps up this very special episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show with Jared Sigler. And I want to thank you, our listeners, for tuning in today. And I'd like to invite you back next week for another episode of the Functional Medicine Radio Show. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Carrie Drizka, the Functional Medicine Doc. Have a great week, everyone. You've been listening to the Functional Medicine Radio Show with your host, Dr. Carrie Drizka, known internationally as the Functional Medicine Doc. Dr. Carey is committed to helping patients find the root cause of their health problems and fixing the cause with natural treatments so they can feel normal again. Dr. Carey is the founder of Functional Medicine Ontario and is the author of the hit book, Reclaim Your Energy and Feel Normal Again. Please tell your friends about the Functional Medicine Radio Show, and we'll see you next week with more from Dr. Carey.